speaking of, uh, I just requested a need, water. And um, one of the other things that I can probably stand to do without is food. But um, those are two necessities, water and food. You're not going to make it long in life without those two substances, water and food. John is going to bring this out in his writings as moved by the Holy Spirit to help us see our spiritual needs. The living water, thank you brother, and the food which is to do the will of the Father. I want to I start uh, today by kind of giving you a description of, of the struggle we have. My son Lucas... When we go out, you guys know Lucas. I mean, he's all boy. Um, but when we go out to the store, and we'll, you know, we're, we're at Target or we're at Walmart or something like that, and we're going up and down the aisles. And you parents know what I'm talking about. You do your best to avoid the toy aisle. Because if that kid sees those toys, I mean, it's radar. He's, he's honed in. He is, you know, it's, you know, must go to toys, must go to toys. And, and Lucas is so funny because we're working on this with him, but he'll see something. He'll go, oh, oh, daddy, daddy, I, I need Toy Story 3. I, 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 need, I need daddy, daddy. Uh, I, I need uh, Clifford, the, the doll. I need daddy, daddy. I need, and he'll just, I'm like, son, son, listen, you don't, you don't need Toy Story 3. You want Toy Story 3. Daddy, I want Toy Story 3. <laughs> you know, and he'll say, so, okay, as long as you got that clear. And, and it's so funny, though, because he will say, he will say, I need this. I need that. No, son, you want that. Well, sometimes that's like us. And a lot of it has to do with immaturity. A lot of times we, we think it's a necessity in our life, but it's really not. Well, let's see what the Lord has to say in the text today in dealing with the two needs of life, water and food. We're only going to look at the first subject today, water, and then, Lord willing, after next week, we'll pick up the conclusion of this sermon on food. Notice in the text, if you would, of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'll begin our reading in verse 1 and following. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God 
And who it is who says to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, uh, said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where, we, where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews." But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Father, I pray that you would allow me to just be out of the way, that you would allow this time to be a time that draws the hearts of the listeners close to you. And Father God, I pray that through your divine Spirit that you would speak to souls that if there be anyone here this morning that does not know you in a personal way through your Son, Jesus Christ, that today would be their day of salvation. Father, open our ears to hear, and may we respond how you would have us to respond. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's been a lot said about this text there's a lot of great and rich, deep truths to be found here. But I want us to think about, as we go through this, verse by verse, by the way, if you're visiting with us, that's what we do here. We like to study Scriptures verse by verse. Um, I, I believe that's the way God would intend us to gain His truth and wisdom. Not to take a passage out here or a passage out here, but to look at the whole context of what's going on. And as we look at the whole context here, there's some truths that, that we see. I want to give us a little background on what's taking place here. 
Listen to this study note which comes from the MacArthur Study Bible in regards to this place that Jesus needed to go. He needed to go to Samaria. Now, what about this place called Samaria? Listen to the description of Samaria. When the nation of Israel split politically after Solomon's rule, King Omri named the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel Samaria. That's found in 1 Kings 16.24. The name eventually referred to the entire district and sometimes to the entire northern kingdom which had been taken captive. And it had been taken captive by Assyria in 722 B.C. While Assyria led most of the populace of the ten northern tribes away into into the region which today is northern Iraq, it left a sizable population of Jews in the northern Samaria region and transported many non-Jews into Samaria. So here's what you got going on. The Assyrians come in, they overthrow them, the northern kingdom, they take captive a bunch of the uh, Jewish people, they lead them out in captivity. Um, Then you also have other lands that they've conquered, and so they transported those people into this land. Now here's what happens. These groups intermingled. They begin to form a mixed race through intermarriage. Eventually, tension developed between the Jews who returned from captivity and the Samaritans. The Samaritans withdrew from the worship of Yahweh. They withdrew from the worship of Yahweh at Jerusalem and established their worship at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. Samaritans regarded only the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. They only regarded the first five books of our Bible as authoritative. As a result of this history, Jews repudiated Samaritans and considered them heretical, intense ethnic and cultural tensions raged historically between the two groups so that both avoided contact as much as possible. So you see what you've got between the Samaritans and the Jews is a cultural and a racial tension. They didn't care for each other. They didn't really get along that great. They didn't think there was a lot in common. And oftentimes, in fact, when Jewish folks were making a trip, they would purposefully go along uh, the Jordan. They would make sure that they got away from, as far away from Samaria as possible. Even though if you look at your maps, Samaria is directly north. So it was easier if you were going to go from, from point A to point B trying to get to Jerusalem. A lot of times it made a lot more sense to just go through Samaria. It was shorter distance. But they wanted no contact with Samaritans. So, we see though in the Scripture that when Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, He needed, He needed to go through Samaria. Some of you need to be here today. Some of you need to meet Jesus Christ, just as the woman at the well needed this encounter. There's no doubt that there is a providential appointment for some of you today. 
just as this woman had a providential appointment with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice in the text here, I want everybody to look at, look at these early verses. Look, um, look in uh, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sikar. You know what this word Sikar is? That word Sikar translates literally to the word drunken. She was from the town of Drunken. Now, notice what time of day. What time of day does the Scripture say she went there? Everybody tell me. What does it say? Sixth hour. Now, depending upon how you're measuring time, if you're following the Jewish calendar, it may be 6 p.m. in the evening. If you're following the Roman calendar, or Roman way of timing, I should say, the Roman time, it's probably noon. I think this is significant. I believe it's noon. Why do I believe it's noon? Because there seems to be no indication that there's anyone else there but her and Jesus. You know what this tells me? This tells me that, you see, normally the women, when they drew water, it was customary for them to go in groups. And they would typically go early morning or late evening. And they would go together to draw the water. She's alone. Why is she alone? I believe this Samaritan woman is an outcast of the outcasts. There was shame in the fact that she's going to the well at high noon by herself. She's an outcast of the outcast. I mean, imagine that. You're an outcast from the city drunken. That's pretty bad. And on top of that, you're a Samaritan. I mean, you know, this, this, looking at this from, from, uh, human eyes, this is the worst of the worst. But Jesus needed to go to meet the woman at the well. Church, Jesus breaks down cultural and racial boundaries in this text. Amen? Church, guess what? If we're going to be a reflection of our community, there's a lot of boundaries that are going to have to be broken down. Amen? Now, I can honestly say, with what I've seen at this church, I don't think this is going to be a problem. But we've got to reach our neighbors. We've got a need. Okay? And the need is to reach the lost with the gospel. And guess who the lost are? They're the outcast of the outcasts. They're the outcasts from the town of Drunken. These are the people that are lost and dying and on their way to hell. And you know what? There are some from the town of Drunken that live in the highfalutin places in our community. You know what I'm saying? We need to reach the loss. This is one of the greatest passages that, that, just, that reiterates and, 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 and brings this to the forefront of our attention. So... Look at the text. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. We're going to look at today the living water. But I want you to think about what's going on here. I want us to get a a picture of this, what this was really like. And probably the best way to capture what this might be like, and I know illustrations do not do justice, but just imagine with me for a moment. And some of you can relate because 
you, this was not too long ago. And some of you have experienced um, the days and what they were like. But let's take you back momentarily in time to the, the 60s and the civil rights movement, the civil rights struggles in this country. Now let's imagine, let's imagine that um, you're a Caucasian person, you're sitting in a department store. And let's imagine for a moment that an outcast of the outcast, I'm talking a, 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 a place that was just debauchery in your community, where there seemed to be the ill repute, and in walks a woman from this, this neighborhood. And you remember, to the shame of our nation, there would have been restrooms over here that would have said colored people or black. You would have had restrooms over there for for white folk. And in fact, there would have been two different drinking sources. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now imagine you're in this place. And let's imagine there's a lot of folks there off in the distance doing their shopping. But you have your seat, you're parched, you're tired, you're weary, and you're resting. And in comes this woman of ill repute. She knows she's an outcast. Her head's hanging down and she's a bit shamed. And she comes in and she comes over to her water source and begins to fill her bottle with water. Can I have a drink of your water? That was a taboo. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen, does it? It does. When you're spirit-filled. When you're living as God has you to live. You see, Jesus needed. Church, you need to lay aside your differences. And it doesn't know just color. It may be old versus young. You see, we've created the verses. It may be difference of lifestyle. I don't know where your hang-ups are. I don't know what your prejudices are. But I know this, according to what Scripture says, i got a need to go here. And to ask, can I drink from your container? The shock, the scandal. You see, when Jesus did this to the woman in Samaria, let me give you some background. First off, women were not allowed to speak in public to rabbis. Even the wife of the rabbi, if he should have a wife, was not allowed to speak to him in public. That was forbidden. That was scandalous. That was, that was disrespectful. So that didn't happen. But now to have a Samaritan and a Jew having dialogue and her be a woman on top of that, I mean, this is scandal of scandal. And yet that's exactly what happened in the text. This is exactly what happened. 
And we'll find out in our study as we continue on in our, in our next series on food that when the disciples arrive back and see this, what in the world, Pearl, is going on? So, notice here, uh, now that we kind of have an idea of what this must have been like, talk about barriers being broken down. Don't let anybody ever tell you anything different. Christianity is liberating. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And you talk about being set free uh, when, when it comes to uh, women were secondary in, in this day. But when Christ came and, and began to share truth, we begin to understand who we are in Him. Do you understand who you are in Him? Let's, let's take a look at this. We're going to look at the needs. Speaking of living water, what are, what are our needs? Well, we first one I talked about, verses 8 and 9. We need to reach the lost. That's the first point. Uh, we need to reach the lost. Lay aside those differences. Lay aside your dislikes. You may not like the youth culture. We need to lay aside those differences to reach them with the truth. Because we care for the souls of man. How dare... I mean, can you imagine... Imagine this scene. Imagine you, you, you happen by and there's a bunch of teenagers listening to their crazy music. You know, and they're looking all crazy. And they're in their car having a good time, doing their crazy stuff. And you walk by and, and you... Well, I don't, I don't want to have nothing to do with those guys. They, wow, that's scary. You know. Now imagine the car catches on fire. Well, they really should get out, you know. They should get out. They're in trouble. Those crazy, those blasted kids. No, you, would you do that? Some maybe would. I would hope that in a situation like that, as the flames begin to increase and grow more and more, that you would be willing to go over and do all you can to plead, to beg, to try and help get them out of this fire. Because if you do nothing, they're going to go up in flames. They're going to perish. And you're going to hear the screams at some point. Because you chose to stand by idle and do nothing. Church, we can't afford to stand by idle and do nothing just because maybe there's some differences. We've got to do what we can to reach the loss and pluck them from the flames, as Jude would say. Having compassion on some. Some, you're going to have to put the fear of God in them. Jude tells us that. But we've got to reach them. You know, I've heard this said before. You've probably heard the saying, I don't know exactly what I think about it. I know the truth that's being conveyed, and so for that I will say this. But you know, you've heard our responsibility is to be fisher of men. We catch the fish. God cleans them. God will begin to transform a heart. He will begin to change a person from the inside out. And I do believe that when a person is truly born again from the inside, things begin to change in their life. And you can't help but notice that. But let's let God do that in His time. Our job is to reach them. So, reach the lost, point one. Point two, we need to recognize Jesus for who He is. Notice in the Scripture, look in verse 10. Uh, Verse 9 goes, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, 
Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. We need to recognize Jesus for who He is. In this text it says He's the gift of God. Underline that in your Bible. He's the gift of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If we get what we deserve, we all deserve death. That's what we deserve. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Guess what? Ten out of ten people, we all got the same disease. We die. None of you are immune to that disease. You all have it. We all have it. We're going to die. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I know some smart aleck theologians out there going, well, but technically, if I'm in the age when the Lord returns, I'll be raptured and I won't die. I understand that. Keep that to yourself for now. We're staying on point here, folks. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. What's the gift of God? What is the gift of God? God's given us something? What's God's gift? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, wow! Who would not want that gift? Eternal life? Well, if you lived the life I lived, you wouldn't want to keep on living. Maybe so. But you know what? That's not eternal life. Christ said, I came to give life and give it more abundantly. You see, you don't experience life. You don't know true life until you know the Savior. We need to recognize Him for who He is. He's the gift of God. He's the one to go ask. He said, if you knew who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him. You would have asked Him. You see, if you recognize Jesus for who He is, you would ask Him. You would ask Him. Notice in Revelation chapter 22. uh, You don't have to turn. If you don't want to, I'll read it to you. I'll thumb there fast. Revelation 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. You see, God's offered a gift to you. It's a free gift. It's His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the one to go ask for that gift. He's the one to go ask for the living water. He's the only one, third point under that heading, He's the only one who can give this living water. In Acts, we find this to be the case. In Acts chapter 4, and listen to what this passage says. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We need to recognize Jesus for who He is. He's the gift of God. He's the one to go ask. He's the only one who can give this living water. Third thing. 
We need to realize who we are. Do you know who you are? I mean, do you really know who you are? Well, take a look at how this woman responds at the whale. Notice with me in verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You know, can't you just see this woman? Hello? Uh, how are you going to get water out of this? You don't even have a bucket. you got nothing, and it's a deep well. Trust me, you're in trouble. She's saying, you have nothing to draw with. Now, where, where are you going to get that living water you're talking about? Where are you going to get that living water? Notice what she does here, though. Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? We need to realize who we are. We are self-righteous. We're lost. We're self-righteous. By nature, you are self-righteous. You say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Church people, y'all are self-righteous. No, 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 no. Let me give you a news flash. We're all self-righteous. Every single one of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. You see what she does in this text? She tries to get all spiritual. She does. And haven't you ever met people like that? You know, you show up on the scene and they're cussing, letting every other word fly out, and they're drinking and boozing it up or whatever. They're, you know, they're all the, maybe you work with a coworker who's just every other word's a filth word, but then you get on the scene and you start talking and you bring up anything to do with church or Christianity or anything spiritual. All of a sudden, they're the most spiritual person in the room. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they clean up all of a sudden, don't they? And they're like... Yeah, well, my grandma now, let me tell you, my grandma took me to church all the time when I was growing up. My grandma, you know, she's, she's a church lady, and I, I, go every, I go every time I get a chance. Or, you know, they'll say some foolishness. Well, that's what the woman at the well is doing. Oh, are you, are, are, are you, you know, our, our, our father Jacob, he put the well in, and he even drank from it. You know, that's like, well, my, my grandpa, he's a preacher. <laughs> well, whoopity doo! Like all of a sudden, you know, by you know, osmosis or something, you know, you're a Christian because of that? No. We get all religious. She gets all religious and self-righteous, but she needs to see who she is. We need to see who we are. We're lost. We're also self-centered. We're self-righteous and we're self-centered. Notice verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Notice what she said. If, you, if you're not careful, you miss it. Underline that word, so that I won't have to come here and draw. See, she didn't want to have to make that trip every day and come out there and get that water. She doesn't get what Jesus is saying. She's still in the physical world. 
Jesus is speaking spiritual words. He's speaking life to her. And she don't get it because she's lost and because she's self-centered. A lot of us don't get this church thing. You don't get what I'm preaching right now because of those two reasons. Now, I know that may get you defensive and get you wall up, and I'm just not getting you because you're boring me. You know. Well, you know what? Maybe that's a self-centeredness. Maybe that's a symptom of lostness. Because I don't know about you, I used to think it was boring too until I met the one that I'm speaking about. And he brings life. And I get excited when people are talking about Jesus. I get excited when people are talking about truth. I love nothing more than to sit down with other believers and actually have conversations about the things of the Bible. Wow! Go figure! That excites me. So I'm I'm a God nerd. I'm proud of it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Guess what? I'm not either. And you know what? When you meet and you taste the goodness of God, you're not ashamed of it either. This is what gets my blood going. All right? You say, man, you need to get out more. No, I need to stay in more probably. (laughs) So we need to realize who we are. We're self-righteous. We're lost. We're self-centered. We're blind. She said, I don't want to come here to draw this. She don't get it. I hope you're not missing this message this morning. You see, Jesus, in order to get her at this point, this is great. Man, and this is already 5 after 12. Y'all better hang on tight. We're going to move quick. All right. Or we're going to be here a long time. Either way, it's all right by me. I'm still here. All right. But listen, here's what Jesus does. Now there's a change in in the text. Now Jesus does something here to awaken her. Because she doesn't recognize who he is. She doesn't even realize who who she is. So now Jesus brings her face to face with the law. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, 7, I would not have known sin. I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Do you see what Paul's saying? You would not know, thou shall not lie. You would not know lying is wrong, unless the law was presented, thou shall not lie. You wouldn't know that was wrong. Paul says, I didn't know this until the law showed me. So Jesus is going to hold up a mirror so she can see herself for who she is. Notice what happens. Uh, uh, Let me give you a story real fast. True story. When I was in youth ministry, one of the things I used to do was I would, you know, go pick up a couple of pizzas. I'd go invade the high school and I'd go in there with my pizzas in hand, you know, sign in at the office. I'd go spend some time with some of my teens in my youth group. And uh, I'll never forget this. One time I went into the, to the high school and, and listen, it's tough. I want to just be honest with you. It doesn't matter how cool you think you are. When you go walking into a, to a high school... In your, in your, in your thirties, you ain't cool. You can have all the pizzas in the world. You just ain't cool. I came to that resolve a long time ago. Now, you're a little bit cooler if you've got pizza, as opposed to if you went in there with some happy meals. You know, a couple of the girls might be okay with, but you know. So I go in there this one day with some pizzas. 
And I, you know, I sit down with the teens and we're, we're, you know, eating pizza. Everybody's diving in, having a good time. I, I'm cracking jokes, you know. I'm a, man, I'm thinking I'm a big hit today. Well, oh, y'all need to come out to teen group tonight. Now, tonight we got youth group. Y'all come see us. We'd love for your friends to come. Okay, all right. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good day. I get out to the car and I get ready to put it in reverse. And I go to check the mirror and I notice I got a big clump of pepperoni stuck right there in the front of my teeth. I mean, it was pathetic. It just looked like I'd grown something out of my lip. And I thought, oh, for crying out loud, you've got to be kidding me. That has been on my teeth the whole entire time. And here I thought they were laughing at my jokes, and they were laughing at me. <laughs> Let me just say, that night when my teens came into youth group, I remember one girl, I said, Jesse, her name was Jesse. I said, Jesse, why didn't you tell me I had pepperoni in the middle of my teeth? Oh, I didn't notice it. You know, yeah, right. I needed the mirror to give me a true reflection of what I look like. Church, people, you will not know what you look like in God's eyes unless you check your reflection in His mirror. The Word of God tells you and me what we really look like. Even if your so-called friends aren't willing to tell you the truth, God will always tell you the truth. And you know what? You've got a pizza stain on your soul. We do, though. We all have a, we have a stain. It's sin. Look, we were going through the way of the Master on Wednesday nights. You know these things. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. What does that make you? Makes you a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, it doesn't matter the value. If you took something that did not belong to you, what does that make you? It makes you a thief. You say, well, I never murdered anybody. You ever hated? God's Word says if you hate your brother, if you hate someone without cause, you know what? If you hate them, that's murder in your heart. When we look in the mirror, we're all, we are all liars, we're all thieves, we're all murderers. That's a true reflection. That means we're in trouble. Every one of us are in trouble. We need a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. So, what happens here? Jesus begins to use the law. Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, when I see what I really look like, I see I, I, I'm in trouble. I need a Savior. That's what brings me to Christ. Okay? Without that law, I don't really know what I look like. Now that I know what I look like, I need to get cleaned up. And Jesus is the only one who can clean me up. Galatians 2.21 I do not set aside the grace of God. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I talk about the moral law, when I talk about the Ten Commandments. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. That's Galatians 2.21 You see, the law does not clean you up. It just shows you what you look like. Jesus Christ is the one who cleans you up. And you need to come to Him through repentance and faith. 
You need to be willing to turn and forsake your life of sin and call upon the Savior for forgiveness and cleansing. He says, whosoever will, let him come. Come freely. So notice, um, uh, another point, we need to respond in truth to truth. That's uh, number four. We need to respond in truth to truth. Look at verses 17 and 18. Uh, The woman answered and said, oh, by the way, what was the law? What was the law that Jesus used? What was the mirror he held up? He says, go get your husband. You know, when I was studying this, I put up there on the top of that line, ouch. (laughs) Oh, ouch. Go get your husband. You know, I mean, can you imagine? And Lotus, she's been talking a lot, hasn't she? Look how much she's been talking. Look at these little paragraphs. Now look what she does. Jesus said, verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. I have no husband. You see, the law shuts the mouth. Every man will proclaim his own righteousness. My grandfather was a pastor. I go to 13th Baptist Church. I help the poor. I volunteer. We'll all proclaim our righteousness. But the law shuts the mouth. Because none of us are righteous apart from Christ. So, here's what happens. Uh, We need to respond in truth to truth, verse 17 and 18. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. We need to respond in truth to truth. How are you going to respond? Are you going to be honest with yourself? When I tell you this morning, you've got a pizza stain on your soul and Jesus needs to clean it. And the only way it's going to get clean is by you humbling yourself, by you setting aside your pride, by you setting aside your religion and surrender your heart and your life to the Savior. That requires humbleness. That requires us putting aside our pride. Saying, God, I give up. I've been putting on a front. I've been playing a game. I don't know what you're, what, what, what you're, where you're at with that. I've been denying Jesus is the only way. I don't know where you're at. But these are issues you need, to, you need to see. You need to see who you are. You need to see where you're at. You need to recognize Him before it's eternally too late. So, we need to respond in truth. We need a relationship with Him. Notice verse 19 and, and, and 20. Notice verse 19 says this. Um, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, isn't it funny? She started off... He was a Jew. He was just a person. Now she's sort of moved to, well, I perceive you're a prophet. And eventually, she's going to recognize him as the person, the Messiah. But we're not quite there yet. Right now she thinks he's a prophet. I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on, the, on this mountain. Here she goes with the religious talk again. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, 
The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Um, then he says in verse, verse 22, You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, let me stop for a second. Notice what she says at first. I perceive you to be a prophet, verse 19. Perspective doesn't make truth. Perspective doesn't make truth. You say, well, I have a different perspective than you. I think Buddha's the way. I think Muhammad's the way. I think worshiping a chia pet is good for me. I don't know what you... <laughs> if you think that, please see me. We've we got some serious counseling to do. But my point is, just because you have a different perspective doesn't make it true. Please don't let the hardness of your heart keep you from hearing truth. You would never argue 2 plus 2 is 5 and say, that's, that, that's wrong. Well, how do you know it's wrong? Because I can do the math. It's wrong. Okay, so you're right. But if I say 2 plus 2 is 4, you would never say, that's a lie. That's not true. I believe it's 8. Well, good, you believe us, eight. You'll get it wrong on the test. Right? But why we come at this and say, I don't believe that way. I don't believe Jesus is the only way. There's going to be a grading period, gang. We're going to stand before Almighty God, the Holy of Holies, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who spoke in the universe into existence. We're going to stand before Him. And you have heard this truth and you've either received it or you've rejected it. Don't let your pride and the arrogance of your hardness of your heart or the ignorance of your lack of understanding. No, I'm not superior in knowledge. In fact, I'm probably a lot lesser than most of you in this room. But I know 2 plus 2 is 4. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. And He said, not me... He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So if you don't believe the statement, you're calling Jesus Christ a liar. You're not calling me a liar. That's some hard truth. But I care about your soul. You're in a car on fire. This world is going up in flames. And if you die in your sin, so are you. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I say not. We need to realize that perspective doesn't make something true. She perceived him to be a prophet. He was more than a prophet. A place doesn't make something true. She said, we used to worship on the mountain. Y'all say you worship in Jerusalem. Look, tradition. That's tradition. You know what? We don't have... Tradition, some traditions are okay, but do not let tradition cloud truth. Just because we, 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 we never did it that way before. Really? So it's got to be wrong? Just because you never did it that way? Come on, people. We're smarter than that. Don't let tradition... She was allowing tradition to, to keep her from realizing truth. A place doesn't make truth. Just because you worship in a building called a church building, there's nothing special necessarily about these bricks. You're the temple of the living God. You're the church. Wherever you go, you're in church. 
Don't set double standards. You're the church. Be the church. So, a person does make truth, however. Notice what I mean by this. A person does make truth. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. You see, there is a truth in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Six point. We need to revere Him. Verse 23 talks about that we should worship the Father. And it tells us how. In spirit. This is not externally. This is not religiously. This is inwardly. That's what He's dealing with here. He's speaking of the attitude of the heart. I don't care if you worship on a mountain. I don't care if you worship uh, in a tree. I don't care if you worship here in a church building. It's about an attitude of a heart. Now, New Testament says there should be a local assembly. And there are some things that should be in place in order for it to be true worship. And that's why we gather in this building. And we're to worship in spirit and truth. And that word in spirit, it's not the word Holy Spirit. You know, I used to think it means we worship God in spirit and in truth, that it was talking about the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. It's talking about the human spirit. It's different. different. And what he's saying is, again, it's an inward attitude. But you can't just have an inward attitude without the truth. Well, I worship God the way I think I ought to worship God. Then you know what you've just done? Hold the mirror up. You've just taken and broken the first two commandments. You've put another God in your life, and it's called self, because you created a God. That's the second one, idolatry. You've just broken the two commandments. That God says, no, 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 no. You don't make a God to suit you. You worship the God that's true. And He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures. That's why He says worship in spirit and in truth. Truth, hear me now, truth by definition is exclusive. Truth by definition is exclusive. It's always funny. People say, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't believe in absolutes. I don't believe that way. I don't believe that you can, you can know absolutes. But yet they've just made an absolute statement. And it baffles me. Think about what we're saying off times, people. All right, let's move on because I know we, we, we want to get this wrapped up here. This is some good stuff though. I won't, hang on tight. Here we go. We need to revere Him. And the seventh and final point, we need to respond to Him. Notice what the woman at the well did. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. You know, there's no doubt this morning, God's speaking to some of you. Some of you, 
You came for Pack a Pew Sunday. But can I tell you, you needed to come. God knew you needed to come. Church member, you think you come because this is where I go to church. Guess what? We needed to come here today. There's a providential appointment awaiting. Now the question is, have you recognized Him? Have you recognized yourself and your need? Are you going to respond to Him? Or are you going to reject Him? I want us to think about this and let me listen to this story in conclusion. There was a man who got lost in the desert. After wandering around for a long time, his throat became very dry. About that time, he saw a little shack in the distance. He made his way over to the shack and found a water pump with a small jug of water and a note. The note read, Pour all the water into the top of the pump to prime it. If you do this, you will get all the water you need. Now the man had a choice to make. If he trusted the note and poured the water in and it worked, he would have all the water he needed. If it did not work, he would still be thirsty and most likely die. Or he could choose to drink the water in the jug and get immediate satisfaction but it might not be enough, and he still might die. After thinking about it, the man decided to risk it. He poured the entire jug into the pump and began to work the handle. At first, nothing happened. And he got a little scared, but he kept going, and water started coming out. So much water came out, he drank all he wanted. He took a shower and filled all the containers he could find because he was willing to give up momentary satisfaction. He got all the water he needed. Now the note also said, after you have finished, please refill the jug for the next traveler. The man refilled the jug and added to the note, Please, prime the pump. Believe me, it works. You know, you have a choice this morning. Jesus says, come. He says, if you're thirsty, drink. He told the woman at the well, he offers living water. Are you going to believe the note that he's left? Are you going to take pleasure in the temporary world and satisfy your temporal thirst with the things of this world only to find later that you come up thirsty again? Can I encourage you? You may stand at a crossroad this morning. Would you come to the Savior and allow Him to quench the thirst 
of your soul. Let us pray.